This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, here is Ron Blue on Today in the Word radio. Lord, we do pause again this morning to give you praise and glory. We thank you for all of the blessings we've been enjoying together this week. We thank you for your presence in our midst. And as Brent has sung, we're just amazed at the sacrifice to make it possible for us to come into your presence, to worship you, to honor you, that you do not consume us, but you care for us. And again, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that makes it possible. Now, Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak to us. We acknowledge our human limitations. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that we can hear your voice. In Christ's name, amen. Come with me, please, to Mexico City. If any of you have ever been in Mexico City, you will readily agree it is the world's Worst place to drive. I've never seen anything like Mexico City. It is terrible. As you know, we drive on the right-hand side of the street. In Scotland, they drive on the left-hand side of the street. Come to Mexico City. Any side you want, and just go. Everybody's going every direction. It is terrible. It was our first trip down to Central America, and of course, we have to pass through Mexico must needs go through Mexico City. (laughs) And we came in there to what they call a glorieta. That's a traffic circle. And we're coming in to this thing. And I didn't see it, but my wife saw it. She said, look out! (laughs) Too late. I like to teach you a little Spanish word, okay? The word is bache. That's a pothole. (laughs) I mean, we hit it. It was like the crater of the moon. The old rambler went into that thing, came out with a starboard list. And we got out, checked the damage, and sure enough, the frame had pulled, or the the shock absorber had pulled completely out of the frame. We were grounded. 
for three days in Mexico City. You know something? We have baches, potholes in the Christian life. And I'd like for us to look at those. There are four in this book. This is a tremendous little book, so often overlooked in the Word of God. But it is loaded. Let's take a look at it. Declaration of dependence in God's labor, His labor. There are four messages in this book. It's easy to outline the book because there are four dated messages. And we're going to see four messages. Just as we slip through the entire book of Jonah, we'd like to move through this whole book and see the four messages of Haggai. It's really the messages of the Lord through Haggai. If you'll notice, in the first verse, you have the date. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord. You notice what I said. It's the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Sounds like this was written yesterday, doesn't it? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Well, you have to know a little bit of the background, of course, to understand this message. This is a post-exilic prophet, meaning it's after the exile, after captivity. Remember that Israel had been taken captive by Assyria. Judah later by Babylon. Years passed in captivity. Finally, after about 40 years, they were allowed to return to their land, the land of Israel. But they had an assignment. They were to go back to rebuild the temple. Later, of course, you read another book, Nehemiah, to rebuild the wall. What did they do? Well, they did what all of us do. Get all occupied in the affairs of life and forget about the major assignment. Their houses are built. They panel the houses. They put extensions on the houses. And frankly, I think the message here is to people who are asleep, dormant, to the assignment that God has given them. Now, I don't see anyone asleep here this morning yet. But we can sit here in this world, and we can even sit in this auditorium and sort of fall asleep to the needs around us. Our assignment, our assignment is not to rebuild the temple. Our assignment is to be a witness to a lost world. Christ will build his church, but he uses the likes of us to build that worldwide body called the church. You know, I was talking to, uh, to a friend recently. I said, boy, it seems to me like the, the two major problems in the church today are ignorance and apathy. I said, what do you think? He said, I don't know. And I'm not sure I care. <laughs> no, listen. We can fall asleep, dormant, to the needs of the world. What's the answer? Well, he tells it here. 
think, consider your ways. But that's not enough. Not just think. Look at the next step. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Think and plan. Get God's plans in your program. And we need to read these next two few verses. Look at verse 9, 10, and 11. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew. The earth has withheld its produce. And I called for a drought on the land on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all the labor of your hands. This is an awesome verse, friends. We're in it. It's easy to think of just natural resources, isn't it? We, we're, we, we have become naturalists. And some people think, you know, that's superstitious to sort of pray. Look at the weather report. And that's the way it'll happen. I don't believe that. I don't think it's superstitious at all. God is in control. And I really believe that right here in the Midwest, right for us, for me, for me, he's trying to get my attention to think of his glory, his grandeur, his power, of what he can do. Thank God for the drought. It's got me going. I've been praying like mad. And I still believe with all my heart that God will answer prayer. And I believe, since some of the farmers here who are better authorities than I said that if we can get it in the next two weeks, it would save a lot of the crops. I'm waiting for it. I'm expecting it. And I don't think it's just natural. I think God can work supernaturally. I believe that. I hope that all of us would sense that aspect of what God is doing. So we think, we plan. But look at the third one. I like this. Oh, look at verse 14. So. So, verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and what? Worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Think, plan, do something. Work. Work. God's labor. Now, please notice, we don't do God's work for him. He does his work through us. Did you get that? A lot of people say, boy, you really got a good number when you got me, God. I can really do it for you. That is terrible pride. God can do it very well without us. He wants to accomplish his work through us. What? manifestation of his grace that he wants to use little old us. Now, let's go back to our assignment. Let's think about this. Dormant, wake up. Wake up. See the needs of people around us. We, I trust, when we go back, and I'm excited about this. I look over this whole assembly here this morning, this mass of people right here. What God can do is we scatter again into our communities, our churches, our places of business, our places of work, where we live. What God can do as we reach out to people in need. Let me get real practical. I taught 45 missionary candidates 
in the Sixth Summer Institute of World Missions in Seoul, Korea. And it was there I discovered that the largest Presbyterian church in the world is in Seoul, Korea. The largest Methodist church in the world is in Seoul, Korea. The largest church in the world is in Seoul, Korea. It's incredible what's happening in Seoul, Korea. I attended one of the afternoon services of that largest church, an auditorium at that time that seated 10,000 people. They were having five services every Sunday to pack them in. Masses of people. And I got hustled up to the third balcony for that service, and they had instantaneous English translation for those of us that did not know Korean. And of course, after that service, I, I wanted to chat with the sub-deacon. They have elders, sub-elders, deacons, sub-deacons. <laughs> so I talked to the sub-deacon, and I said to him, could we pray together? He said, oh, I'd like to do that. See, he knew some English. That's why he was assigned to that little section. And I said, what would be a prayer request that I could pray for you about? He said, well, he said, I, I wish you'd pray for two families that haven't been here for two weeks at church. I just looked over this auditorium of 10,000 people. I said, how do you know they haven't been here? Oh, he said, they're in my cell group. No one slips through their fingers. And I asked him, I said, how is it that this church continues to grow so rapidly? Oh, he says, it's very easy. He said, every member of this church, if you're going to become a member, agrees to do one thing. Anytime a, a friend, a neighbor, or a relative has a problem, we must act. You don't question if I'm going to or not. You must respond. And it's not too hard. What we ask everyone to do is to take a gift to that neighbor, that friend, that relative. We usually take a bowl of fruit or some flowers, he said. And we take it to them. And we say, we, we've heard about your problem. Could we pray for you? And they pray right there, out loud, for their problem. Then they leave. It says, two days later, we come back with another gift, a bowl of fruit or some flowers, and say, could we pray again? He said, we've seen a lot of wonderful answers to prayer. And he says, furthermore, he said, we usually don't ask people to come to our church. They usually ask us, could we come to your church? You know, when he told me that, I thought that would work anywhere in the world that is not culturally bound. Could I plead with you as I plead with myself? As we move back, could we offer that as a suggestion in our church to get everybody tuned to any problem of a friend, relative, or neighbor and just simply act in prayer on their behalf? We could make our churches grow like mad. They would multiply. Think, plan, and then do it. Thus endeth the first message of Haggai and all God's people said. Amen, Amen is fine. That's good. Some of you I heard say Selah back there. <laughs> You're a wonderful group. Dormant people, let's move to the second message. And again, you find the date. Chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory, and how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Now, I think this message is addressed to people who are discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged? 
Don't look at me so piously. <laughs> of course we all get discouraged. You know, you're in action. These people have started to move. And what Haggai does, say, any old timers around here? Hey, come over and look at this. Foundation's in. What do you think of it? This is peanuts. You should have seen Solomon's temple. Now, is that the way you encourage people? Well, actually it is. We need to face realities. Difficulties are difficulties. And there's no sense in just sticking our head in, in the sand and saying it doesn't exist. No, he faces the reality. But he doesn't stop there. Oh, look at this next verse. Look at this. But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work. Why can they take courage? What's the next phrase? For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, I don't know why we get discouraged, but we do. I discovered this verse in private devotions down in Latin America. I was out, and I often do this, have a walk while I'm uh, having my devotions. I don't jog. Heard about the jogger that dropped over dead running home from a health food store. So I walk. <laughs> No, but I was walking, reading this, and actually, devotions, sometimes I'm reading those first verses about Zerubbabel and Shealtiel and Judah, and devotions are wonderful, aren't they? You're reading this stuff. But then I came to that verse four. Take courage, take courage, take courage and work. In Spanish, it's esfuerzate, esfuerzate, esforzaos. Even sounds better in Spanish, doesn't it? <laughs> I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, look at this. What kind of a God do we have? Very quickly. Verse 5, you see his promise. He says, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Verse 6, you see his power. He can shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 7, you see his presence. He says, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. His promise, his power, his presence. Verse 8, his provision. He says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. He's rich. He owns it all, his provision. And finally, his peace. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I shall give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. What's the answer for discouragement? Well, it's right here. It is really a, a very important factor. I use two rules is what I use to avoid discouragement. Here are my two rules. Maybe this will help you. They've been revolutionary in my life. Number one, don't live in the past. We tend to focus on the past and live back there and especially focus on the negative of the past. It's amazing how we focus on negatives. I can prove it real quickly. We've all been in school. You get the exam back. What's the first thing you look at? Of course, the grade, 78. What's the next thing you look at? Exactly. What you got wrong, your mistakes. Oh, no, look, I should have studied for this thing. We, we never look at what we got right. We're negative thinkers, the whole lot of us. And what we do is keep focusing on the air and say, look what I did. Oh, it's such a mess. And we're backing into the future. <laughs> no, turn around. Face the future. Paul said it. Forgetting the things that are behind I press on to the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. So don't live in the past. Learn from the past, but don't live there. 
And if you do look in the past, always look at those bright things that God has done for us, not the negatives. Don't ever say should have. That's worthless. What can you should have? You can't should have anything. You can only next time stuff. So forget the should haves. <laughs> Go the next time. So that's first. Don't live in the past. Number two. Oh, this is so important. Here it is. Keep the big picture. God is still on his throne. The Holy Spirit indwells us. We have eternal life. <laughs> and why should we be concerned about the little pictures when we have a big picture? That's what he says here. Isn't it great? So if you're discouraged... Cheer up. Not the way they say, you know, in the world. Cheer up. Things could be worse. So I cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. I like that. No. In God's plan, cheer up in him. He has an answer. Thus into the second message, and all God's people said, amen. Boy, we're hustling now. I, I'm reminded, as look at this clock of a, of a preacher who got up and said, you know, I have so much to say this morning, I just don't know where to begin. Little guy in the front said, could you start somewhere near the end? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, watch it. Third message. Here it is. The date's there in verse 10. Verse 11, the Lord speaks. Ask of your priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, touches bread with his fold, or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? The priest said, Yes. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest said, it will become unclean. Well, they passed the exam. Our problem is we're not priests. But I can tell you what he's saying here by way of application for us today. The church in the world, yes, we're here to reach the world. The world in the church, no. No. We live in perilous times, brother. A few years ago, they said it's the year of the evangelical. We were all so excited. This last year has been devastating for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin seems to abound, not just out there. It's in the church. I was really touched when I read this interview with Richard Dorch. He was the one with PTL, the second in command after Jimmy Baker. He was one that authorized the cover-up money to Jessica Hahn. Listen to what he said. Sometimes I think the church just doesn't know anything about true success. It's all tied to how many stations we have on our network or how big our building is. It's so easy to lose control, to compromise without recognizing it. At PTL, there was no time taken for prayer or for family because the show had to go on. We were so caught up in God's work that we forgot about God. It took the tragedy, the kick in the teeth, to bring us to our senses. And I hope that we have come to our senses. You know, brethren, we need each other. We need to pray for one another. We can become distracted. I'll put it frankly, dirty. What's the message? It's clean up. Clean up. Oh, I'm so grateful that in the word of God it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's not an escape. Read on in the passage. 
Second chapter of that first John says, this is written unto you, that you sin not. That isn't say, oh, well, great, then I can just go out and sin and confess it. No, that we do not sin. May God help us be pure in a world abounding in sin. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. We've finished the third message, and you're sitting there thinking, boy, I didn't need those messages, I don't think. I'm not asleep. I'm not dormant. I don't need that message. Wake up. I'm not discouraged. If I was, I'm not now. I see that big picture. I don't need your message to cheer up. And I'm not distracted. I'm not sitting here dirty. I don't sit here with unconfessed sin right now. I don't need the message. Clean up. You know what I am? I'm dubious. I'm doubtful. That God would use me? <laughs> you don't know me. It's little old me. Can God use me? Oh, I have a message for you. Look up. Look up. You see the, uh, the date, verse 20, the word of the Lord came the second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, speak to the Zerubbabel. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And he goes on to talk, but I just want to focus now on the last verse. Look at this. Look at this last verse. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I'll take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord. Could I suggest something? Put your name in there. When you find these big names you can't even pronounce, I think you can fairly put yours in there. I'm going to take you. Put your name in there. You, my servant, because God's speaking to you when he uses his word. I'm going to take you, declares the Lord, and I'll make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. God chose you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you didn't choose him. You know that. He chose you to be his child in his hand. You know what the signet ring is? That's the sealing ring. That's the one the king wears. And when some document is supposed to be sealed with the king's authority, they put some wax on that piece of paper and in that big glob of wax, the king takes his sealing ring and goes, Psh! king's authority. Now, it's not the ring. It's the hand. He wants to take little old me. You see this? Like a ring in his hand, God's hand, and go like this in the world. Psh! Make an impression in his hand to change the world. We need to look up. It happened in Phoenix, Arizona. A number of years ago, a dear little lady like many of you, perhaps, grandmother, kids were out of the nest, and uh, she loved the Lord. She was no prominent person in the church, but she loved the Lord, and she was faithful to the Lord, and she was in the hand of the Lord. Her concern was about a little kid in the neighborhood. His name was Jimmy. This kid was wild. He was hopeless. He was terrible. But it wasn't so much Jimmy's fault because Jimmy didn't even know who his dad was. And his mother was playing welfare for everything she could get. This dear Christian lady saw Jimmy in the street one day and she said, Say, Jimmy, would you like to go to Sunday school with us? Well, Jimmy didn't like that word school too much, but he thought he'd give it a try. <laughs> so he went. They tell me that the Sunday school teacher would have been very happy if they had left Jimmy at home. Kid caused problems in the class. And the worst part is he liked it, and he kept coming back. <laughs> and you know what happened to Jimmy. He came to know Christ as his personal Savior. 
And he literally lived from Sunday to Sunday just to be able to be at Sunday school. One day, the neighbor lady came to the door like she always did Sunday morning to pick up Jimmy, and Jimmy wasn't there ready to go like he normally was. His mother was at the door. She says, Jimmy's not going today. Oh, she said, what's wrong? Is he ill? No, he's not ill. If you want my Jimmy to go to your Sunday school, you'll bring me a bag of groceries every time you come. The lady would not stop. She got a job selling Avon products to get the money to buy the groceries to make sure that Jimmy got to Sunday school. To make the long story short, she saw Jim Lyons ordained to the ministry. And as we sit here this morning, Jim and his wife and family are doing a fantastic work for God in Rimini, Italy. Jim was the one that told me that story when I spoke in an Italian workers' conference in Rome. And with tears in his eyes, he said to me, who knows where I'd be today if it hadn't been for that lady? You want to reach the world? It might be a Jimmy right next door. Lord, again, I thank you so much for your word. It's so powerful, so direct. And I would pray that you'd take us, Lord, in a new way and use us to make that impact, that impression on the world around us. Do your work for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in World Missions and Intercultural Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.